0: hello everyone we are going to begin lesson eight today with a quote from margaret thatcher and this quote says watch your thoughts for they become words watch your words for they become actions watch your actions for they become habits watch your habits for they become your character and watch your character for it becomes your destiny what we think we become. Now, we're going to talk about our thoughts and our beliefs and our words today, because as Lady Thatcher points out in this quote, those three areas of our lives are very, very important. And they don't stand alone. They aren't distinct and separate parts of your life. They are connected. And they form a bit of a chain reaction that begins with your thoughts and ends somewhere with this enormous impact on your life, your thoughts, actually end up producing who you are and what it is that you become now this is going to be a bit of review for us because we have talked about these things before in sisterhood but if you're anything like me you need reminders because we tend to get forgetful and neglectful of some of the areas in our lives where we need to be the most diligent and i really believe that this is one of those areas so our thoughts create the content of our beliefs which create the content of our words. But we're going to begin with the end product today. We're going to begin with our words and work our way backwards, hoping that by the time we get back to our thoughts, which is where it really all begins, you'll understand just how important your thoughts really, really are. So let's begin by talking about our words. In Mark chapter 11, there is a story about a fig tree. So Mark 11, 12 through 14 says, Now the next day, when they had come out from Bethany, he, Jesus, was hungry. And seeing from afar a fig tree having leaves, he went to see if perhaps he would find something on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not yet season for figs. In response, Jesus said to it, let no one eat fruit from you ever again. And his disciples heard it. So interesting story here. We have here a fig tree which had leaves, but it didn't have any fruit. Now scholars tell us that this particular fig tree was supposed to bear its fruit either before or simultaneous with the appearance of the leaves. So since this tree had leaves, it was essentially proclaiming it had fruit. It was making a false, it was making a false claim. It was communicating that it had something it didn't have and it was violating the laws set up by God to govern fig trees. Now, Mark says that Jesus responded to this tree. The King James Version says that Jesus answered this tree. And if you respond or answer somebody, it means that person spoke first. So when Mark says Jesus responded to this tree, he's implying that the tree spoke first. Now again, this tree was communicating hypocrisy because it was proclaiming it had something it didn't have, and it was proclaiming rebellion because it wasn't lining up with the way God ordained things to be, and Jesus answered this hypocrisy, and he answered this rebellion by cursing this fig tree. Now, I don't know if you ever picture the Bible stories as you read them, but picture this. Jesus is standing there looking at a tree Essentially, he's looking at circumstances that aren't lining up with the natural order of the way God intended these things to be, and he spoke to that situation out loud. His disciples heard him speaking to this tree. Now, what happened? Let's read on, starting with verse 20. Now, in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look. The fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Now let's stop there for a moment and just realize that this tree responded to the words that Jesus spoke to it and that doesn't surprise any of us because Jesus is God and Jesus can do anything. But do you know when Peter pointed out the condition of this tree to Jesus, Jesus didn't say, okay, but fellas, don't try this at home. (laughs) I mean, I'm God and you are not. Let's not get carried away. No, Jesus took this opportunity to say something staggering. Let's read on, verse 22. Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, Believe that you receive them and you will have them. So Jesus said here, you will have whatever you say when what you say is attached to what you believe. And that makes your words very, very important. And notice here this, this use of the word whatever. This is important. See, Jesus didn't say you would only have the good things that you say, the things that line up with his word. No, he said you will have whatever you say. That means you'll have not only the good things you say, you'll have the bad things that you say. So then, if you persist in saying things about yourself and about your life that are in direct contrast to what the Word of God says is true of you, then guess what you're gonna have? You're gonna have a life full of circumstances that are in direct contrast to what the Word of God says is true. And if that's not what you want, then you need to stop saying those things. Now we talked about this a little bit last semester when we talked about our lesson on sowing and reaping. And we said your words are like seeds. Seeds are just flying out of your mouth every time that you speak. And those seeds aren't just flying out, they're they're landing somewhere in your life. And they're putting down roots. And they're sprouting and they're growing. And they're producing fruit. And the Bible tells us what happens to this fruit that the words of our mouth produce. Proverbs 13:2. a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth, but the soul of the unfaithful feeds on violence. So according to the word of God then, you are gonna eat the fruit that comes out of that seed that came out of your own mouth. Does that make you wanna change the way you speak? Now James had a lot to say about our tongues, James said our tongues are like bits in horses' mouths or rudders on a ship, and that they're very small, but they're very powerful. I mean, think about how a small bit can turn a powerful horse, or a relatively tiny rudder can turn the direction of a huge ship. And in the same way, your tongue is small, but it has the capacity to turn the course of your life. James went on to say in James 3, 6 through 8, The tongue is a fire, it's a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and is set on fire, and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Now that is a sobering passage. Because as I read this, 1st James is telling me how, fo- how powerful and destructive and poisonous my tongue is, and then he tells me I can't tame it. Well, if I can't tame my tongue, what am I supposed to do? Well, that question takes us to the middle piece of our lesson for today, which is our beliefs. Our beliefs reside in our hearts. And whatever is in your heart, your untamed, tongue will eventually speak it your tongue can't help itself luke six forty-five. jesus told us this very thing is true he said a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks the new living translation says what you say flows from what is in your heart so while you can't tame your tongue, you can have an impact on, the, on what your tongue draws from, because you can have an impact on what is going on in your heart. So let's talk about our beliefs. Our beliefs are our core values, and they reside in our hearts, and we will default to whatever it is that we believe. Now, if we've, as we've already discovered, our mouths and our hearts are connected. Whatever is in the heart, the mouth is going to communicate it, because The mouth can't help itself, the tongue can't be tamed. So if you really want to ever know what is really going on in your heart, pay attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth. They are a great indication of what's going on in your heart. And you know, this is not only true for you, it's also true about your children. We don't always know or see what is going on in their hearts, but if we'll stop and listen to the words that they're saying, we can have a very good indication of what is happening in the heart of our child. So often, we hear them speak words that we don't want them to speak, words that grieve us. So what do we do? We go right after the words, and we try and correct what it is that they're saying. But oftentimes, all we're doing is teaching them not to say those particular words in front of mom, when really we want to use those words as an indication that we have an issue to address in our child's heart. Now Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.13, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke, we also believe and therefore speak. So Paul said, because I believed, I, I spoke. So faith speaks. Faith is something that resides in the heart. And if faith is in your heart, then faith is coming out of your mouth because your tongue won't be able to stop it. Your tongue can't be tamed. So, Salvation actually follows this very process that Paul is speaking of here. So let's look at Romans 10, six through 10. Paul said the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you see the connection between the heart and the mouth in that passage of scripture? See, the process of salvation follows this whole process that we're talking about here. How did I get saved? I believed in my heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because I believed it in my heart, it came out of my mouth. And my confession of faith caused fruit to be born in my life, and that fruit was salvation. And it's very, very powerful, but this process doesn't only apply to salvation. Because Paul also said in Colossians 2, 6, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So the same way that I received Christ, that's the way I'm supposed to walk in him. How did I receive him? I stored a promise in my heart. It came out of my mouth in a confession, and I ate the fruit of it. So I can store other promises from God's word in my heart. They will come out of my mouth, and I will eat the fruit of those promises as well. Do you know you can look at your heart like it's a storehouse? When we face trials... We reach down into our heart, into that storehouse, and we're hoping to find some things there that will help us, things like joy and peace and strength and endurance and faith. And those things will be there if we stored them there, because God promises these things to us, but he doesn't force us to store them. He leaves the determination of what gets stored in the heart to each one of us. You are responsible for what gets put on the shelves of the storehouse of your heart. And the Bible tells us that we are to guard the content of our heart diligently. We've read this verse many times in Sisterhood, Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. You know, when you reach into the storehouse looking for help in your trials, what you find there does not have to be a surprise you can be very intentional about what you store in your heart. And we are actually told to guard the door of our heart in order to protect our heart. Well, how do we guard our heart? Well, the door to the heart is the mind. So we protect the heart by controlling our thoughts. Whatever is stored in my heart, it got there via my thoughts, and that's what ties all of these three things we're talking about today together. So the three main points of this lesson We have, we will have what we say, we will say what we believe, and we will believe what we consistently think. See, it all begins with the thoughts, not just any random thoughts. We're talking about our focused thoughts. We're talking about the things that we give our attention to. Now in Matthew chapter nine, there is a story about four men who bring their sick friend to Jesus and they can't get into the home where he is teaching, it's too crowded, so they go up on the roof and they lower him down through the roof to position him right in front of Jesus where he can be healed. Now it's a beautiful story about healing, but the part I wanna focus on in this story is actually I would like us to take a look at the religious leaders who were present in that home because they were not happy with the way that Jesus handled this. So let's read about that, Matthew nine, two through four. Then behold, they brought to Jesus a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And at once, some of the scribes said within themselves, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Do you see how the two are connected? Jesus, in knowing their thoughts, he knew that there was evil in their hearts because the thoughts and the heart are connected. Do you know Satan can't force you to just say whatever it is he wants you to say and then make you eat the fruit of those words? And he can't go right into your heart either and just stock things on the shelves in that storehouse. He doesn't have that kind of power. God doesn't give him that authority. So what he has to do is impact your heart and impact your words via your thoughts. See, what you think about is very, very important. And it begs the question, what are you thinking about? Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, we need the transformation in our hearts. But according to Paul, we get that transformation by renewing our minds. We are to meditate on, ponder, be devoted to, focus on the words that God said until the mind is renewed to those truths, until it is made new. We need our thinking to align with the Word of God. And that's what this journey through the middle provides for us. Do you know that the thoughts and the beliefs and the words that you had when you began your journey are not going to be sufficient for what awaits you at the end? Because as we've already talked about, what awaits you at the end of your journey is promotion. See, you're gonna have to come up higher. You're gonna have to learn to really align your thinking and your beliefs and your speaking with what God says. And that's what we learn in this middle ground. That's part of what the wilderness is for. So then now would be a great time to look into our wilderness story and see an example about how our thoughts, beliefs, and words are connected. Now, as you begin to read this story of the Exodus, and just, if you were just to sit down and start plowing through it, it wouldn't take you very long to notice something. These people complained (laughs) a lot. If you ever wanna know how ugly complaining is, read this story. It was, it was horrible. But the interesting thing is, God didn't seem to really address that issue. Not at first. Because see, God knew that these people had a heart issue. They had spent all those years in slavery. They didn't know any better. They had a, a, a slave mentality, and it needed to be dealt with by the renewal of their mind. So what did God do? He began to prove himself faithful to them in a constant invitation for his people to see him differently. Let's just look at some of the things God did for them. The very reason they were able to leave Egypt was miraculous. God sent 10 plagues, that's 10 miracles, in order to force Pharaoh to let these people go. Then once they left and they were walking out of Egypt, they get to the Red Sea, God parts it they walk across that sea on dry land. When they turn around and see their enemy is pursuing, God drowns that enemy in the very sea that they had just crossed. When they became thirsty, all they could find to drink was bitter water, God made the bitter water sweet. Twice He provided for their thirst by having water, enough to feed this multitude of people, come out of a rock. He fed them manna every single day. They had heavenly provision for the food that they needed. God led the people by a supernatural cloud by day and a supernatural pillar of fire by night. And that cloud kept them cool in the hot desert sun and the fire kept them warm in the cool desert night. Their clothes and their shoes never wore out for 40 years. Every person was healthy. Every person was strong enough to make this journey. God gave them victories in battles that they fought along the way that they didn't have any business winning in the natural. They heard God speak audibly. They saw his presence descend over the tent where Moses would meet with God in the tent of meeting. See, they had his manifest presence with them every single day. Listen to what Moses said to them. Deuteronomy 4, verses 32 through 35. Moses said, search all of history, from the time God created people on the earth until now, and search from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything as great as this ever been seen or heard before? Has any nation ever heard the voice of God speaking from fire as you did and survived? Has any other God dared to take a nation for himself out of another nation, by means of trials, miraculous signs, wonders, war, a strong hand, a powerful arm, and terrifying acts. Yet this is what the Lord your God did for you in Egypt right before your eyes. He showed you these things so that you would know that the Lord is God and there is no other. So get this, provision after provision, miracle after miracle, all for one purpose, that these people would see that the Lord is their God, and that they would renew their minds, quit focusing on their lack, quit focusing on everything that was missing in their lives, and start focusing instead on what God was doing. But in all that he did for them, their hearts didn't change, because their focus didn't change. Now again, God was patient with them in the beginning when they didn't know any better. But as God reveals himself to us, as he did for these people, and as he does for each and every one of us, every single day, God expects us to notice. He expects us to take the revelations that he gives to us, as he provides for us, and as he blesses us, and as he proves his faithfulness to us. And we are to use those revelations to change the way we think. We're supposed to think like God thinks. We're supposed to quit focusing on our lack. We're supposed to quit focusing on everything that isn't right. We're supposed to stop complaining. And we're supposed to start focusing on what God is doing in our lives instead. Do you see, we're supposed to renew our minds. Now, the people in our Exodus story, they didn't do this. And God said repeatedly about these people that they were a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked means stubborn or inflexibly obstinate. It means hard-hearted. Now if we refuse to renew our minds when God reveals his truths to us, then you know what, we're stiff-necked people. We're hard-hearted, we're stubborn, we're obstinate. We're refusing to renew our minds. And what happens when we refuse to renew our minds? It's gonna come out of our mouths eventually. See what happened when these people refused to change their view, refused to look at God a different way. They continued to complain. They couldn't help themselves. They couldn't stop their mouths from complaining because you can't tame your tongue. Proverbs 23, seven says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So the beliefs in my heart are like a compass. They will direct the course of my life. See, I'm going to be whatever the contents of my heart say that I am going to be, because whatever is in there is eventually gonna come out of my mouth, and Jesus said, I have whatever I say. So then returning to our lesson on spiritual warfare that we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is where Satan attacks us. He goes after our thoughts. See, he wants to paint this picture for us that speaks a lie that says God isn't faithful, that says something is missing from your life, you are lacking something. Look over here. And he wants us to focus on that lie until it takes up residence in our heart. And then it comes flying out of our mouths and then we end up eating the fruit of it. And then at some point in my life, I, I look and I go, my life is a complete mess. How did this happen? What have I done? Well what I've done is set the course of my life on fire by speaking words that came out of my mouth because of a faulty belief system that I stored in my heart because the enemy whispered a lie in my ear, and now I have to eat the fruit of it. But what if I decided I'm done living that way? What if I decided, when Satan paints that lying picture to me, that I am going to determine that is not worth my attention? I am not impressed by that. That is not worth being compared to the promises of God that I am choosing to believe. Now, if that's my mindset, then faith will be what resides in my heart and faith will be be what comes out of my mouth because again, faith speaks. And if faith is what's coming out of my mouth, then I will eat the fruit that faith produces in my life. And that's fruit I do wanna eat. But do you see, it's all my choice. And it all goes back to what I'm thinking about. Kenneth Hagin said, thoughts are like birds. You can't keep them from flying around your head, but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. (laughs) Do you know, thoughts are everywhere. It's like they're flying around your head. Sometimes a, a thought pops in your head and you're like, where in the world did that come from? And we can't maybe stop the thoughts from popping into our heads, but we don't have to let them nest there It's our choice, we get to choose what we focus on. Remember what Kristen told us about the blinders, choosing only to look at what God said, refusing to see all those contrary circumstances in our lives because listen, what you're thinking about matters. I pray you see this, I pray you're hearing me. All that brooding that you're doing, all that worrying, that reasoning, that pondering, wondering, what am I going to do? How is this going to work? Those aren't benign thoughts, they're having an impact. Those thoughts are, are stocking the shelves of your heart, of your storehouse. They're having an impact on your life, because you'll default to those lies. And one day, in some unguarded moment, your untamed tongue's going to reach into that storehouse, pull something faulty off the shelf, and spew it all over your life. You're directing your own life just like a bit steers a horse or a rudder steers a ship. See, that unruly evil full of deadly poison in your mouth has the capacity to ruin your life. What are you going to do about it? I'll tell you what you're going to do about it. You're going to change the content of the storehouse of your heart by changing the way you think. All right, so let's make this our prayer. Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. What's an acceptable word or thought in the mind of God? Words and thoughts that line up with his words and thoughts. See, think like he thinks. Say what he says, open up the word. Put your eyes on those promises. Mull on those, meditate on those. Let your mind hear your voice speaking the words that God says, see, say what he says. Because when your words are his words, and when your thoughts are his thoughts, they're acceptable to him. And if they're acceptable to him, I guarantee you, the fruit they produce in your life will be more than acceptable to you. Amen? Amen. Let me bless you. God, I pray blessings on these ladies. I thank you for each and every one of them, Lord, and I ask that each one would leave here determined to change the way we think. Father, I pray that you would help us to stock the shelves of the storehouse of our heart with godly words, with your thoughts, with your words. I pray, Lord, that as those words come out of our mouths from our new belief systems that line up with your word, that we would notice the fruit. And we would, God, we just thank you in advance. We thank you for the fruit that your word will produce in our lives. I pray blessings over their conversations, Lord. Help us to begin with our words being godly words at our tables tonight as we discuss these principles, Lord. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name, amen.